Good evening, guys, uh, ladies, brothers and sisters. Um, my friend I'm about to introduce to you guys, uh, I like to call him, I don't think he ever probably heard me ever say this, but uh, like Pastor Bob, he's like a mentor to me. Uh, if you guys were there on uh, uh, that Sunday evening when uh, I gave a testimony, I told you guys about my time in prison. Uh, this is the brother that God brought beside me and uh, helped us, and we began to grow in, in this knowledge and the saving grace of Christ at that time. And uh, we, God has allowed us to be brothers just from another mother ever since then. And uh, I praise God and I thank you guys for just allowing him, and uh, I'm quite sure that you'll, uh, you'll praise God too, because uh, I truly believe that he is a gift from the Lord for us. So. Brother Clarence Simmons. Well, good evening. I have to say, good to see you, Brother Bob, again. I have to say from the outset, I need to quit letting Brother Reggie talk me into speaking when I'm on vacation. <laughs> because I'm not getting any vacation. <laughs> he has a way of, of doing that. And so I count it a, a privilege. You have to, you have to uh, a friend of mine once said, he's an older man who's very dear to me in his late 70s. He said, you need to have a sermon in your back pocket and one in your heart at all times. So Titus chapter two, I, I just want to look at something very briefly, very briefly in Titus chapter 2. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't say briefly. Preachers say that, and it's not brief at all. So Titus chapter, chapter 2, Pastor Bob prayed in his prayer that we would be more godly. So I want to look at motivations for godly living. Motivations for godly living. Or maybe we should say motivation for Christ-like living. Chapter 2, I actually want to read the entire chapter. I'm reading from the authorized version of Titus chapter 2. Paul to his son Titus, <clears throat> the son in the faith, that is. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience, that the aged woman likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well, in all things not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that, we might, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Amen. Let us pray together. Our Father, how thankful we are that we can come to you again through the kind mercies and tender works of Jesus Christ our Lord. How we thank you for this glorious Savior, this royal Savior, this all-sufficient Savior. Oh, Father, we come because he has purchased for us a glorious redemption so that we can approach you and call Abba, Father. How we thank you for this mercy. How we thank you for this grace. And now, O oh, gracious God of heaven, would you teach us now by the ministry of your Spirit, Oh, how we need him to minister to our hearts. Give me the tongue of the learned so that I may speak a word to my brethren in due season. Speak to us. We are listening. Hear our cry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul, speaking to his son Titus in the faith, admonished and even encouraged, may I say it, Titus, that he is to teach sound doctrine. That is simply healthy teaching. And there's a reason for that. Sound doctrine leads to sound living. Now, just let me say this for clarity. You can have sound doctrine and not live it. But you can't believe bad doctrine and live right. May I just say that one more time? You can have sound, healthy, good teaching and not live it. But you can't believe bad teaching and live right. Just a case in point. Israel had good teaching. Good teaching. The prophets, Moses, Aaron. And if you look at Exodus chapter 32, while Moses is on the mount, they're having a block party at the bottom, making a golden calf. You can have good doctrine and not live it. But you can't believe bad doctrine and live right. So Paul is admonishing Titus. Titus, you have to teach good, sound doctrine. Why would he do this? Because he wants the aged men, the aged women, or the older men and the older women, the young women and the young men, slaves and even Titus himself, to bring glory to God in the way they live. I tell you like I tell my children, it's real simple. Your living prepares you for your dying. You are going to die one day. You can't slow it down. You can go to the doctor all you want, but it's appointed unto man once to die unless Jesus comes back first. And after that, it is the judgment. It's unavoidable. Eat healthy. That's a good thing. Stay away from McDonald's. That's a good thing. 
But staying away from McDonald's and eating healthy won't stop you from that appointment with the grave. It's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. Matter of fact, the doctor you're going to, he's going to die as well. Just so you know that. Titus is to teach sound doctrine because he wants to promote sound, healthy, God-informed, God-empowered living. And if the aged men or older men and older women are going to act like older men and older women, each category, he says to be sober, be sober, be sober. Young men, be sober, have some self-control. If that is going to happen... The source of that living, he tells us in verse 11, is the grace of God. He said, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation, that brings salvation, appear, hath appeared to all men. The emphasis is really on the appearing. It has shined forth. It has burst on the scene. You may ask the question, how did that happen? How does grace shine forth? How does it burst on the scene? How does it show up, so to speak? Well, I have a theological construct. <laughs> Meaning, I believe it has burst forth, shine on the scene in Jesus Christ. Amen. The law came by Moses, John chapter 1. But grace and truth has come by Jesus Christ. He has burst forth on the scene. He shined forth on the scene. And that's why Paul can tell Titus, you older men, be sober. Act like real men. You older women, act like real women. Don't be mouth devils. You young women, love your husbands. Why do you have to tell them that? Shouldn't they do that automatically? Oh, man. You gotta be kidding me. We live in a sinful world. We constantly need instruction. You young men, get a hold of yourself. When I was uh, younger, my mom used to say to me, Brother Bob, she said, Boy, act like you got some sense. <laughs> She's probably still saying that to me now. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. Tell those young men, get a hold of themselves, act like you have some sense. Need sober-mindedness so you can make good judgment. So Paul goes on to say, now even you, Titus, you ought to be an example yourself. If you are going to preach, you better be practicing what you're preaching. Paul said, Titus, you can't go and tell everyone else what to do and you're not doing it yourself. No, you need to be an example. i never forget what the Scottish, that Scottish Presbyterian Robert Murray McShane would say. He said something interesting. He said, your sermons only last an hour or two, but your life will preach all week long. Practice what you preach. And then he said that source, as I said, is the grace of almighty God. We generally refer to God's grace as his favor, his unmerited favor. I like to take it, just a slight deviation from that by just saying grace is God moving in our direction for his glory and our good. Let me just say that one more time. Grace is God moving in our direction for his glory and our own good. In the Greco-Roman world, grace was never showing the enemies, only showing the friends. Grace was only shown to friends, never to enemy, especially in a court setting. In other words, I can get my friend off the hook, 
But God does something totally different. God shows grace to his enemies because he had no friends. Oh, man, I'm about to shout by myself. And listen, you missed what I said. I said God shows grace to enemies. Enemies, if you've been brought in the God family, it's not because you were a friend. It's because you were a rebel. And God rescues rebels. That's what he does. God saved messed up people so those people that were messed up can go to other messed up people and tell them how to become unmessed up. That's what he does all the time. He specializes in messiness. So Paul said, this source is the grace of almighty God. And this grace has shined forth in Jesus Christ and it has come to all kinds of men. Oh, I wish I could spend more time on this, but let me just say this. When we see the word all, don't think all always means all and that's all it means. We read things in context. To take the text out of context, you're left with a con. This all, he said, all men, if we read the whole context, I wish I could track, track all the way from chapter 1 on, but he would use all things, all things, all things, chapter 1, verse 16, to the pure, all things are pure. Well, wait a minute. If he's talking about all things, all things are not pure. To the pure, all things are pure. So the word in context, obey your master in chapter 2 in all things. How about if he tells you to do something wrong? Should you obey? How about if he tells you to do something contrary to the will of God? Should you obey? We can take all or always mean all. <coughs> word of God tells us that all Jerusalem came out and were baptized by John. That's not true because Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and said, listen, you didn't receive John's baptism. So it wasn't all, all in the sense of all kinds at times. And I think that's what it's referring to in this context. When Paul says, the grace of God has appeared unto all men. It had come to all kinds of people. Why? He just gave us a category. Old, young, preacher, slaves. This grace has come to all kinds of people. Hallelujah. If it didn't, you'd never be saved. Are you even saved? All kinds of people. Then he moves from the source of grace to a more empowerment, this teaching ministry. In verse 12, we'll spend our time really in verse 13. But he moves to verse 12 by saying this. When it comes, when it shows up, Christ burst on the scene, teaching us, cultivating, training us. Training us to do what? To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Is that in your Bible? Training us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It's, it's instructing, molding, shaping the way we think in order to govern the way we live. It's instructing. God is constantly, young people, God is constantly instructing instructing the mind. You know why? Because your mind and your life are married for life. The two shall never part. How you think is how you will live and you won't live any differently. That's right. What you take in, what you read, what you watch and what you listen to affects how you think and how you think is how you will live. Right. Have to be careful of what you put in your mind. It affects your life. 
Paul said, this power, this teaching ministry, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, this teaching ministry bringing us to maturity so that our minds are instructed in the way of God so that we will live in a way that pleases God. Don't you want to live that way? If Jesus has saved you, you want to live in a way that pleases him. Sure, there's this uh, falling down, there's these ups and downs in the Christian life. I just, I, wish, I wish it was just like us all the time. Oh, that would be great. But no, it's that and down. But don't stay here. Got to go back up. Why? He's giving us a helper. He's constantly, constantly, constantly making us like Jesus. So this grace has this teaching aspect. It molds us, it instructs us, and it teaches us to be deniers and to be strivers. <laughs> Where is that? Straight in verse 12. Denying what? Ungodliness and worldly lust. We are to reject. Young people, are you listening? We are to reject, renounce, say no to all ungodliness. Paul is not making a suggestion. Paul is not saying, you know, man, you know, kind of just do what you want to do. You know, this Christian thing, you know, we'll be all right when we get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He said, no, no, no. I remember with Lou Holtz, you know, that feisty coach used to coach uh, Notre Dame. You may say Notre Dame, Notre Dame, however you want to say it. Notre Dame, the fighting Irish. Somebody asked him, what does the word win mean to you? W-I-N, what does it mean to you? Lou Holtz did not hesitate. He said, win means what's important now. Oh, I love that. He said, what's important now? Paul is saying to Titus, what's important now is godly living in an ungodly world. That's what's important right now. Not when you get to heaven. Now. He said, we ought to reject this. Every form of irreverence for the things of God, we ought to reject. We ought to break off and break away from all godless practices and this we are to do continually. The verb has a continuation to it, a, a present tense, if you will, a constantly breaking off, breaking away. Now, sometimes we want a list. Pastor Bob, I'm sorry, I don't give lists. <laughs> sometimes we want a list. Oh, can I do this? Can I not do this? Can I not? Can I do this? Can I? No, no, no. I'm not going to give a list. You know why? Because you know. You know, Amen. you know, in your very soul, you know the things God don't approve of. You know the things you should not be doing that you're doing. You know. You know if you are watching things that God does not approve of. If you are listening to things that God does not approve of, you know. J.C. Rowling, that good book, Thoughts for Young Men. I don't know how many times I read that thing. He said, young man, you better not be reading anything you don't want Jesus to read. You better not go any place you don't want Jesus to find you. Oh, you know. You don't need a list. You know. You know if you have downloaded things on your smartphone, you know that smartphone that's making a lot of people really dumb. You know if things are on there, you know what you're doing in secret. Let me just let me say it plainly. The real you is not you on Sunday morning. Man, I 
I shouldn't have said that, should I? Yes, I should have. The real you and not you on Sunday morning. The real you is who you are when no one else is around. That's the real you. Who you are in secret is who you are. Everyone looks good on Sunday. Oh, pray for you, Pastor Bob. You have to counsel people when you look at them on Sunday morning. Everyone's got smiles on their face. God bless you, brother. Hey, going, going great. World War III at the house. Everyone looks good on Sunday morning. I remember telling a brother, he said, how can I pray for you, brother? I said, man, I'm struggling with my tongue. <laughs> I'm struggling with this mouth of mine. I don't know when to speak or when to be quiet. I'm talking when I should be quiet. I'm quiet when I should be talking. I want to use my tongue aright for the glory of God. That's how you can pray for me. Just before the service started. He said, oh, brother, would you pray for me? <laughs> we got to be honest with one another. I need you and you need me. It's a body. We need members. Iron sharpen iron. We ought to be pressing one another on to glory. We ought to be running the race with one another. We can't run the race for each other, but we can run alongside one another. Look into Jesus. He said we ought to deny this ungodliness and worldly lust, and we ought to pursue, not to pursue the world's goals, pleasures, or its happiness. Let's be honest. The world is very attractive. Would you agree with that? But let me tell you, it's like cotton candy. My dad used to take us to the fair when I was little. You know, you get these foot-long hot dogs. I never seen hot dogs that big until I went to the fair all along. And then you get these cotton candy you would get, and he would spend money on the cotton candy, and you get it, and boom, it's gone, man. What? I just ate my, I just ate, I, well, I don't know if I ate it, because it wasn't anything to chew. You put it in, and it's gone, all sugar, you know? That's what the world has to offer us, young people. Cotton candy. It doesn't last long. It tastes sweet to you, but it's not good for you. It's not lasting. Oh, not only are we ought to be constantly breaking off from these things, but Paul also said we ought to constantly be striving after godliness, not when we get to heaven, but right now, we look, we ought to look sober, he says, soberly, righteously, and godly. Scholars have said soberness pertaining to a right assessment of yourself, righteousness, how we deal with our fellow man, and godliness, how we relate to God. Oh, that's the two tables of the law. You know, the first one deals with God of the Ten Commandments, the first four. The last six deal with our relation to our fellow man. How we relate to God reflects in how we relate to our fellow man. And how we relate to our fellow man reflects in how we relate to God. So that's what we ought to be doing. Treat everybody with fairness, equity. That's falling by the wayside. No longer is a man word his born anymore. Oh, God help us. If we are wrong, my friends, if we are wrong concerning God, we will be wrong in our view of man. Are you with me? If you are wrong in your view of God, I am telling you, you are wrong in your view of man. The mind and the way we live, as I said, is married together for life. I hear people say, I don't know much about the Bible. I can tell you right now, the problem is not the problem is not that we lack information. No one in this room lacks information. You live in the, you live in the 21st century. Where, where information overload. 
We don't lack information. We may lack motivation, but you don't lack information. Some of us know more Bible than we actually live. No, we're not lacking information. We're not even suffering from Bible ignorance. We're suffering from Bible rejection. We don't live out what we know. Paul said, Titus, we ought to reject this type of thinking. Reject all ungodliness and worldly lust. Reject it all and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We ought to embrace the gospel revelation. And this is good news. The good news of God is to the church, for the church, through the church, to the world. We got to go beyond the four walls. We got to have boots on the ground ministry. Oh, we don't have a ministry. Amen. Boots on the ground. I don't know how the history books would be look, but I, I shout at how the history book would look for the plan for the pandemic. Some people call it a pandemic. However, you review it. But how would it look? How did the church respond? How did the church handle quote the pandemic in a hurting and confused society? I fear to see how the history books will look. We spent more time on the internet arguing with one another. Should we do masks? Should we not do masks? Should we do the vaccine? Should we not do the vaccine? Ridiculous! Christians! Spending time, wasting time, when there's a dying world out there. Ridiculous. Well, What's our motivation? Paul tells us in verse 13. Grace is shining up on the scene in verse 11. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, not when we get to heaven, but right now. And we ought to do this Christian living, this godly living, looking to Jesus. Oh, look at it. It's right there in verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. His motivation, grace has come. We are empowered by the Spirit to break off and to strive for looking for the return of Jesus. That's motivation for the heart. Paul said, Titus, Jesus is coming back. Man, you ought to have fuel in the engine of your soul pressing on in the great work until he comes. Oh, can I call it expecting look? This is a controversial verse, like every other verse in the Bible. Some hold that this verse is talking about two persons. It's wrapped up around that great God and Savior. Some modern translation have the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because if it's one person, right, it would refer, no doubt, to Jesus Christ. In other words, this will be a clear text on the deity of Jesus Christ, his Godhood. And so if you have some saying, no, this is not we're talking about Jesus Christ pertaining to him as God, then we have the battleground again. There's only six places in the New Testament where this word appearing or appearance appears. No pun intended. The other five places refer to Jesus Christ. We get to this one saying it's not talking about Jesus. <laughs> Oh, boy, that's what you got to do sometimes in the scholastic theological world. 
This means that if there's two persons making an appearance, you have to conclude that the father is coming and the son is coming. Are you still with me? You have to conclude that. Not one person's, one person, but two. Well, let's hear, let's hear that word appear. Like I said, it's only six times, and it all refers to Jesus Christ, the other five, except the debate on this one right here. Just let me give a quick example of what I'm talking about here. Paul tells Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who shall judge the quick or the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Who's appearing? Jesus Christ. Should judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Please notice that he said his appearing. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the living, and the dead at his appearing. Not their appearing. His appearing. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 8. Paul goes on to say the Lord Jesus will reward him with the crown of righteousness and all who love his appearing. Jesus will be the judge and Jesus will make his appearance. Are you still with me? Listen, when Jesus appears, CNN won't be running any articles. New York Times won't be running anything. Fox News won't be recording it. It'll be his glorious day of debut. It will be lights in a sense, camera and action when he splits open the clouds and returns in his glory. Amen. What a day that's going to be. Amen. Oh, it's going to be a shocking day for many. It's going to be a joyful day for others. But what a day that's going to be when the king, as the old folks used to say, soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. Be the king in all of his glory, all of his beauty, returning. He won't be the little lamb, if we could say it that way. He won't be the babe in the manger. No, this will be the king who is Lord of all. <sighs> he will come in his glorious beauty. The words looking for mean to wait with great expectation. That's the text in verse 13. Looking for means to wait with great expectation to welcome some you have long to see. Oh, let me see. I'm going to give this illustration. My children know about it. I went to speak out of town in Ohio, I believe it was, and I rarely go out of town without at least three people in my family. But my wife insisted that I go, and I was miserable, but I went anyways. And as I returned, they had changed up the airport in Pensacola a little bit so you can look down and see people walking towards you like you did before. You could see and you could go, hey. So they had it all blocked off. And as I was coming back, and I couldn't see anyone on the other side, when I walked around the bend and came out, my children had this big banner. Welcome home, Daddy. We love you. They were waiting with great expectation. Amen. Oh, the concept is that we're joyfully waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. It's like Romans chapter 8. The earnest expectation. The word means to stretch out to neck and long. It's like you're standing on tiptoe. Creation is waiting for Jesus to return. How about you? How about you? Do you want to see him? You want to see the king? 
I'm talking about the one who had the scars in the hand. The one who took the brow, the crown upon his brow. The one who had the spear in his side. The one who had the nails in his feet. Do you want to see him? The one who went about Jerusalem doing good. I'm talking about the king, the one who came from glory, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Do you want to see the king? Amen. Paul said, Titus, this is the motivation, son. Jesus is going to return. I want you to live godly in this world, and I want you to teach them to live godly, soberly, righteously in this world, looking for Jesus. Ah, it is a readiness to welcome the Savior. It's anticipation for the return of Jesus. This is not fiction. This is real. I know sometimes people say, why do you believe all that stuff? Why do you believe all that stuff about Jesus? Throw it out. Oh, I'm a simple-minded man. I said, well, if it's all true, I have nothing to lose. <laughs> I mean, if all false, I have nothing to lose. I'm in the same boat as you because you don't believe it. So if I'm believing and it's not right, I don't have anything to lose. But if it's right, you have everything to lose. The heart is beating and expecting the king. It's looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Are you looking for his coming? Or do you wish he would stay away for 2,000 more years? Oh, not only is it a great expectation, the text tells us it's a blessed hope. It's a blessed hope. A blessed hope. Look at it. Verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. We look at looking for that's great expectation of blessed hope. The word blessed means joyful or happy. The word hope, as I said, has to do with confidence in someone who is trustworthy. It is not a hope. <laughs> like I hope something happened, but it may not happen. Well, maybe the young people hadn't done it. When I was, when I was, when I was quite younger, we used to, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm going to say it. Pick up these little leaf, these little clovers, right? And you know when he had a had a little girl or something over there, we pull the leaves off, Brother Bob, we say, She loved me, she loved me not. She loved me, she loved me not. She loved me, she loved me not. Landed on her. She loved me not, we just started over. She loved me, she loved me. It's not that type of hope. It's not that type of hope. We keep going until it falls in our favor. She may not like me at all. But it's that hope where we have confidence in someone who's trustworthy. And he is trustworthy. Paul said to Titus in chapter 1, And hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie. Cannot lie. Can you hear it? He cannot lie. That's a couple of things that God has never seen. Oh, man. Pastor Bob, why you bring a heretic in here? <laughs> There's some things that God himself has never seen. Wait a minute. Isn't God omniscient? He knows everything. Isn't he, um, you know, omni-audient? He hears everything. Isn't he omnispective? He sees everything. There's some things that God has never seen. God has never seen a situation he can fix, and God has never seen a sinner he can save. Some things he's never seen. Looking for that blessed hope. That glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me hasten on. 
This is the true God and eternal life, John tells us. Having the Son is to have life. To be without the Son is to be without life. The certainty regarding this hope, because God cannot lie. The hope is coming. The anchor of hope for our souls, Jesus Christ, will return because God cannot lie. Cannot lie. God said it. He will do it. I've heard it expressed it this way. If God said it, I believe it. That settles it. I hope you don't ever use that. Because if God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. Because he said it. God is not functioning on our timetable. God's heavenly clock and our watches are not in sync. <laughs> He's functioning on a different time all together. And his time is always right. The old folks used to say he may not come when you want him, but you will want him when he comes. Uh, we're in God, the Hebrew writer says, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, counsel confirmed it by oath. It can't change that by two immutable things, his promise and his oath, <clears throat> in which it is impossible for God to lie. Notice, it's impossible. <clears throat> we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor to the soul. Do you have Jesus? Anchor to the soul. Forerunner, someone who went before. Whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus himself. Oh, do you want to see him? We think of heaven as a place where we see grandma and grandpa. I'm going to hasten, not clock, somebody stop the clock. <laughs> Think of heaven as a place we see grandma and grandpa. I understand that. Or we looking for Aunt Lois, you know, Cousin Jimmy, Cousin Billy Bob Bojangle III, other people like that. Oh, my friend, heaven is about Jesus. That's what heaven is about. Heaven would not be heaven without Jesus. Samuel Rutherford said, if I went to heaven and Jesus was not there, it'd be like hell to me. And if I went to hell and Jesus were there, that'll be my heaven. It's all about Jesus. But he's appearing in glory. Tells us it's a glorious appearing. Now English translation, it looks like an adjective, but it's really a noun. It's a glorious appearance, or he's appearing in glory. Glory, and that will be a glorious time when Jesus returns. The glorious judge, the righteous one, the lovely king, the stem of Jesse, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the glorious and worthy lamb of God. That's going to be a glorious time. He'll gather, separate sheep from goats. He'll bring those on the right hand and those on the left. Oh, my friends. We have to be in Christ in order to be in the category even of his sheep. We can go to heaven without a lot of things. We can go to heaven without friends and family. We can go to heaven without esteem or education. You can go to heaven without prestige or possession. You can go to heaven without beauty or benefits. You can go to heaven without health or wealth. But you cannot, you cannot, you cannot go to heaven without Jesus. Amen. You have to have him. Amen. You have to have the one who hung on Calvary's cross, who rose again from the dead, 
and who's shining right now on his throne in all of his glory. There'll be no sneaking into heaven, no tripping one way into heaven, no easing through the back door in heaven. No, no, none of those things. We can't sneak into heaven at all. You know somebody tried that one time? Sneak into heaven? Let me see if I can give it to you. This way. Someone actually tried to sneak into heaven. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter, no, oh, that's wrong, I'm sorry. It says this right here. A certain king had a, had a supper, had a meal, and threw a party, so to speak, for his son, and he invited several people to come. Some people began to make excuses, and after a while, the king said, I want you to go out into the highway and hedges, and I want you to compel all to come in. Whomsoever you would find, I want you to bring in so that my house will be full. And it just so happened, as the king came out, he spotted someone who didn't have on a wedding garment. See, the custom was that you provided, not like we do today, go to men's warehouse and get you a tuxedo. No, they provided the wedding garment. But there's one sitting without a wedding garment on, and the king spots him and says, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless, speechless. The king said, bind him hand and feet and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I love how Bunyan says it in the Pilgrim's Progress. As ignorance goes up to the gate and knocks on the door after he passes over, knocks on the door, and the door is open. And it said, where's your certificate, sir? And he started fumbling around in his clothes, and he couldn't find it. And the word came from the king, said, bind him hand and feet and cast him into outer darkness. And Bunyan said, then I saw in my dream that even at the very door of heaven, there's a way to hell. Oh, that's sobering. Mm. That's sobering. So you can get all the way close and still not get in. Oh, this is serious, y'all. God isn't playing any games. But even now, there's still room at the cross. There's room at the cross for you and always even for me. God has a way of reaching folks in unexpected ways. And here, Paul says to Titus, here's your motivation. Not only will he appear, he's the great God and a great Savior. Listen, he's a great God and a great Savior. And he's coming in all of his glory. And I'm going to do some quick skipping. He's coming in all of his glory. Not only will he be welcomed by his church Oh, but we will be changed forever. Oh, as Packer said, we will have souls that cannot sin, living in bodies that cannot die. We will be changed forever. And that day, and that day, we will be able to say, oh, grave, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It will be a forever change as the king comes and the chariot wheels are turning. When the king comes in all of his glory to be welcomed by his church, to be embraced by even creation itself, who wants to be from under the bondage. When Jesus shall be manifested, Jesus himself and all of his loveliness, the star of Judah, the bread of life, the lamb of God, the light of the world, the prince of peace, the Lord of glory, the captain of our salvation, the author and finisher of our faith, the shepherd and bishop of our souls, the ruler over the kings of the earth, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the stem of Jesse, the root of David, the love of heaven, the worthy lamb. He's coming back. Amen. 
be ready when he comes. <coughs> he will come shining. Paul said, grace is shine in Jesus Christ. He's shining grace, and he's coming back, and he'll be shining in glory. That's our motivation for holy living right now. Oh, let me say this right here real quick. If you don't mind, I'm going to just close with this. Puritan Isaac Ambrose said this right here. Christ's honor surpasses all the kings and lords of the earth, for he is king of kings and lord of all. Christ's beauty excels the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. He is more beautiful than all the flowers of the field. He is more precious than all the precious stones of the earth. He is more precious than all the lights in the heaven. He is more precious than all the saints and angels combined. Take God and look on him in all of his greatness. Look on him in all of his mighty power. Even this great God, the Lord of heaven and earth, and he is yours. Look on him and he is yours. Look on him and all that he has is yours. Look on him and all that he does is yours. Look on him and all that he can do is yours. I will be yours, says God to Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Here is a catalog and inventory of a Christian riches. If you have Christ, you have it all. Close quote. Oh, man. Amen. And my good friend, who's helped me so much, Mr. Spurgeon, and then we die. He said, in our Christian pilgrimage, it is well for the most part to be looking forward. Forward lies the crown and onward is to go. Whether it be for hope, for joy, for consolation, or for the inspiring of our love, the future must, after all, be the grand object of the eye of faith. Looking into the future, we see sin cast out, the body of sin and death destroyed, the soul made perfect and fit to be a partaker of the inheritance in the saints of light. Looking further yet, the believer's enlightened eyes can see death river pass, the gloomy stream cross, and the hills of light attained on which stands the celestial city. He seeth himself entered within the pearly gates, hailed as more than a conqueror, crowned by the hand of Christ, embraced in the arm of Jesus, glorified with him, and made to sit together with him on his throne, even as he has overcome and has sat down with the Father on his throne. The thought of this future may well relieve the darkness of the past and the gloom of the present. The joys of heaven will surely compensate for the sorrows of earth. Hush, hush my doubts. Hush, hush my fears. Death is but a narrow stream, and you will soon have crossed it. Time, how short. Eternity, how long. Death, how brief. Immortality, how endless. The road is so, so short. I will soon be there. Close quote. Oh, my friends. May we look as we live to the coming of the great day of Jesus Christ. And may his coming be the motivation for our hearts to press on in this wicked world. Let's pray. Our Father, how thankful we are again. It's good to be among brethren. God in heaven, how we've failed so many times. Lord, help us, strengthen us to be a people who are distinct 
as we look toward that glorious return of Jesus Christ, may that be our motivation to press on in this world and to live for him who lived for us, to do all that we can for him who did all for us. God, help us and strengthen us, we pray. Forgive us when we quench and grieve that blessed spirit. Help us to be more sensitive, Father, more Christ-like. Oh, God, more willing, more ready to serve our great master. We love you, Lord. That seems to be so small because you first loved us. Overwhelm us again with your goodness. Bless Brother Bob and others as they lead the congregation here. Bless Ferguson Avenue. Brethren here, Lord, build them up in the most holy faith. Make them more and more like that precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed, but I would encourage you to uh, reread that passage and then keep in mind what our brother said. And uh, one of the things that I think is great, you can tell his style is just a little different than mine, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but one of the great things is, and it's the best thing you can say about anybody, and I, and I believe it's true, is the passion you hear as he reads the word, his love for the word, is the passion that he has for living for Christ every day. So that's legitimate. That's not a show. And that's awesome. So, brother, I want to thank you for that. Amen. That was, uh, you stick with the text. It's what you did. If you keep doing that, you will not go wrong. Amen. Uh, that's awesome. The Lord will bless. So thank you all for coming. And uh, we will do our best to get our brother back here again one day, whether you're on vacation or not. <laughs> thank you. <Amen. laughs>